Chapter 8 of The Recording Angel by Edwin Arnold Brenholtz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter 8 The Best Laid Plans of Mice and Men by One Who Knew. Neither of the men remaining in the room appeared to be in the least disturbed by Robert's threats, but went on smoking, and finally the elder man said, now i think that you can understand why i who have been so bitterly opposed to strikes in all warfare in every shape and form should consent to aid you at this time arndt looked inquiringly at him and he continued it seems to me to be simply a choice of evils for i am certain that unless some one with a very cool head and whose heart is full of the love of the race intervenes this struggle will not end without the most dreadful civil war the world has ever seen my idea exactly said arndt only it will not be confined to this country for the working men of the world have looked to america as the last chance for them to obtain justice and they will help us rather than have their only asylum destroyed worse and worse sighed mr endy we must prevent the breaking out of hostilities at all hazards now these young men who are running things and who are responsible for all this trouble seem to think they have all the foresight there is in the market i wish that robert had remained with us and kept on talking he talks too much for the good of his cause and entirely too often arndt smiled but immediately looked very serious and after a few moments during which the old man scanned him narrowly as he paced nervously up and down the room he said as he paused in front of his friend don't you think we might spare him the publicity which is sure to follow he is your own son think of your own feelings mr endy took the young man's hand and said thank you my boy thank you for that thought but as you see he has forgotten that he is my son and for the time i must forget it the warrant he has sworn out says that you are a swindler and implies that i am out of my mind and this is only the first step towards declaring the will which i made in favour of the cause null and void on account of the incompetency of the testator you as a leader of the working men have no right to let that will be upset and i as a sane man am going to fight for an open declaration of my sanity besides all this you must not let the mistake he has made be lost to the cause that's what made me hesitate said arndt he has played into our hands beyond all expectation and i know that i ought not to let the chance slip but i thought that i might make it up by getting him to go on a foreign trip for a while until the strike is ended president craggie cannot afford to lose the services of men who profess the principles in business matters that robert holds i see however that you are right we must take advantage of every slip made by our opponents though i am sorry that this one was made by robert and in this way well said mr endy i am more sorry than you can be but i am not going to be considered an incompetent business man and an imbecile besides if i can prevent it and the last ten years of comparative idleness have been spent largely among these books where you will find every valuable suggestion ever printed on the labor question that has been my hobby and i have lost caste among my fellow millionaires because i so constantly insisted on and spoke in favor of giving the worker a fair share of the proceeds of his labor i will allow that i did not say anything except among my own class 
for there, it seemed to me, the work needed to be done. I feared that any encouragement would lead the men to rebellion against conditions which I constantly hoped would change for the better. But we will talk of this when we have more time. Angus MacDonald and I, as you know, have spent many an hour together in this room discussing this question, while you, I suppose, were at least as pleasantly employed talking to Nettie. But now he is gone, and we have work to do. There was a little silence, and then he roused himself and said very briskly, "'Enough of dreaming. Please ring the bell for the stables,' pointing to the switchboard in the corner of the room. As soon as the answering ring of the bell on the board was heard, Mr. Endy spoke into a telephone receiver, which stood on the library table by his side, and told John to bring the double team and closed carriage to the door as soon as possible, and then turning to Arndt said, "'I'm sorry for it.' but I think that you will have to remain in prison tonight. Of course, was the reply. If we are going to fight this thing out, we could not afford to let that advantage slip. There is no disgrace in imprisonment for this cause, and I am more than willing to remain there for more than one night if necessary. But I can tell you that this would be a serious business if I had not you to fight for me. I could narrate some tales of what has been done in so-called free America, especially since the capitalists commenced holding secret sessions and sending out secret circular letters, tales which would put to the blush the injustice and cruelty practiced by any monarchical government in Europe, Russia not excepted. I know, said his hearer, probably more of those tales than you do, for I am on the inside, and that is one of the things that has determined me to fight till death the class division in America. We are today a republic only in name. The ballot, it is true, has been left in the hands of part of the people as the easiest way to govern all. But the will of the people, if it cannot be made to coincide with that of the real rulers of this country before election, and that is often done, through a corrupt press and by other means, is deliberately set aside afterwards, and in ways the law does not seem able to reach or prevent. As for getting redress by putting another party in power, you know what that amounts to. The rich can always make the first years of the new administration disastrous years, if they have the will to do it and then the people themselves restore the old party to power again. Then the reform legislation, which never had any chance to produce satisfactory results, is repealed or becomes a dead letter. It never seems to make any difference to Mr. Craggie and men of his ilk which party is in power. "'You are exactly right,' said Arndt. "'I have often thought when I heard or read the charge that my socialist friends are traitors, that the real traitors are those who deliberately thus wreck the prosperity of the country from time to time. And there have been occasions when I have seriously weighed the question as to whether the slaughter and suffering thus entailed on the poor was not, in the long run, worse in amount and quality than that brought about by any actual outbreak of revolution.' "'I had not thought of that!' exclaimed Mr. Endy. "'But there is the carriage at the door, and we will now see whether Robert has been playing a bluff on us. No, we will not wait to speak to him. I do not care to say anything further to him this day.' As they passed Rollins in the hall, Mr. Endy gave him instructions, at a suggestion from Art, that he should go to the house on the river road and see that all was well there, and also, said he, tell Miss Annie that all is right with us, but that we are compelled to go to the city on business, and cannot possibly return until tomorrow. 
and rollins you had better remain with them if there is no man in the house and you might as well take some things for hardy people as well as sick ones with you as they opened the front door they waited for the gentleman who had been standing by the carriage ever since john drove up to turn around when he did so mr endy said to arndt good then addressing the man as he advanced towards him he said mr sheriff i thank you for this i will not forget it oh that's all right mr endy was the reply as the offered hand was cordially shaken i thought i had better attend to this little matter myself some of the boys talk too much to the reporters mr arndt turning as he spoke i am sorry to have to ask you to consider yourself my prisoner it's a formality i have to go through with you know very good thank you sir said arndt and again he smiled now mr sheriff said mr endy i hope that you have no objection to going to the railroad in this carriage none whatever was the reply in fact i rather expected to do that very thing when i saw it drive up to the door and i also expect that you are going with us to the city mr endy well said the other i had thought of doing so if you do not object to travelling in my company the officer laughed heartily as he said not likely is it mr endy but i thought i might as well mention that it will be too late to give bail to-night when we get to our destination unless you have a special train and travel as mr craggie does of course of course was the reply but let us start for i see robert coming towards the house after they were outside the grounds he asked to see the warrant but that document did not give much more information than robert already had imparted and the three men chatted pleasantly until they reached the station as they were about to enter the parlor car the sheriff in a low tone said mr arndt i believe i will smoke you will meet me at the station in clyde will you not as he spoke the last words the two men looked straight at each other and arndt said certainly sir and the sheriff left them as the train rolled along smoothly and swiftly towards clyde arndt said I am beginning to see and feel some of the direct advantages of being, if not rich, at least in the company of a rich man. I've seen too many men arrested by deputies and policemen not to realize the difference between this and riding in the smoking car with a uniformed officer beside me, and maybe handcuffs besides. Yes, said Mr. Andy, but this is Jones's way of doing business. He was elected by popular vote in spite of the opposition of the ring, as you know, and having come up from the ranks of the policemen through all the grades is, for once, the right man in the right place. Arndt laughed, and after a moment asked, "'Do you know that we have the socialists to thank for Jones?' "'Of course, of course, but what could we do? Decent citizens simply could not vote for such undisguised rascals as the other parties nominated.' A sheriff does not get any opportunity to put socialism in practice. Again, Arndt laughed. Yes, I know, he said, but still, he is a standing advertisement of what sort of men are in their ranks, and his administration of the office is making adherents for socialism daily. All the working men like and swear by Jones, for his success has not spoiled him. But if it had not been you and your son who are involved in this matter, Mr. Jones would not have been here. I had not thought of that, said Mr. Endy. Now, he continued, we have a little time to arrange a program. I telegraphed Johnson to wait for me at his office, and as soon as I reach Clyde, I am going there and have that codicil added to yesterday's will, then and there. 
Then I am going to sever my business relations with Johnson, a man who allows private information and confidential affairs to become public is not running business to my satisfaction, and also he is counsel for the Iron and Steel Corporation and will be against us in this fight. Then I am going to employ your man Chandler, who is counsel for the Union, to do my work hereafter. Good, said Arndt. I am certainly glad of that. Harry Chandler is as smart a lawyer as any of them, and he will prove it if he gets his chance. But his siding with the working class has been against him thus far. He hasn't had any big cases yet, and the Union employs him mainly because he is an enthusiast in the cause of humanity. I think that he will get his chance tomorrow, or maybe tonight, Mr. Endy replied. I am going to see him as soon as I get through with Mr. Johnson, who I think will lose some more of his millionaire clients after all is told. For it was his own son who drew up that will, and I am inclined to believe that he at least connived at letting Robert know its contents. If I find Mr. Chandler, I am going to bring him around to the prison tonight to see you. We have too much to talk about to wait until the morning, and I never leave until tomorrow what can be attended to today. I am afraid you will overtax yourself, said Arndt. Never fear, my boy, was the reply. I am all right. These white hairs do not count for anything. I am as sound as a dollar. I have not rested ten years for nothing, and besides, a man is immortal until his work is done. When the train stopped in the depot at Clyde, they met the sheriff, who saluted them as if he were greeting them for the first time that day. Then Mr. Endy said, "'Excuse us a moment, Mr. Arndt,' and he took the arm of Jones and walked aside a few feet. Then he said, "'Mr. Sheriff, the man you have in charge is going to marry the daughter of my old friend Angus MacDonald, whom we buried this morning. He is, therefore, if for no other reason, one of my personal friends, and I am going to ask you to see that he has every alleviation which prison discipline permits. Jones looked sharply at his companion and said, I can easily keep him under my own care and take him to my own home for the night. Your word and his would be sufficient for me. Thank you, sir, thank you, was the reply, but he must go to prison. I would, however, thank you for a permit to visit him, together with his counsel. Is that all? asked the sheriff, as he handed his card on which he had written the desired permission. "'That is all, I think,' hesitatingly. Then he said sharply, "'No, sir, that is not all, not quite. I am of too much importance to-day and to-morrow to take any risks. I have just had an impression made on my mind which I cannot disregard. Mr. Sheriff, I want a man, one who can be depended upon, to not lose sight of me for two days, and perhaps longer.' capital idea that, was the quiet reply, as he ran his eye over the throng of people who were hurrying this way and that along the platform, some leaving trains and others entering, until, to an inexperienced eye, it appeared impossible but that everybody must get into the wrong car, and that those who were leaving the depot seemed to be in constant danger of instant death from the baggage trucks, which were being pushed around among the crowd." "'Good idea,' repeated the official to himself. "'But I don't see our man here. "'Let us pass through the depot and along the front of the building. "'He was here when I left for Steelton.' "'Then they rejoined Arndt, who in the meantime had been examining the faces of the people as they passed, "'and had exchanged greetings with several. "'To one of these he said briefly, "'Strike is on. "'Telegraph President of the Union, in cipher, "'to meet me as early as possible tomorrow morning at the prison.' "'All right.' 
said the man, who was dressed as an engineer, and his eye swept over the people until it stopped at the sheriff and Mr. Endy, and then his face lit up as he repeated very emphatically, "'All right!' and he shook hands with Arndt and went into the telegraph office. As our party passed through the building, the sheriff looked searchingly among the moving mass, but neither of the others saw him make a signal to anyone, although Mr. Endy was on the watch for something of the kind. But as they stopped on the outskirts of the crowd, he touched the latter on his shoulder, and when he turned around, he said, "'Mr. Endy, permit me to introduce you to my friend, Mr. Arthur, who will carry out your wishes.' And he then stepped aside for a moment and spoke to the man. Afterwards, Arndt and the sheriff entered a carriage and were driven to the prison, while Mr. Endy and his companion went to Mr. Johnson's office. Here Mr. Endy carried out his program to the letter, never intimating the least displeasure until the codicil was properly added, and then, as the clerks who had acted as witnesses withdrew from the room, for it was long after office hours, he said that he would take the will with him, and as he arose to go he remarked, "'And, as I do not like to have everybody know all about my private affairs, I propose to transfer my business to other hands. So, please, Mr. Johnson, send in the bill for what I owe you to date.' Upon that gentleman professing astonishment and ignorance of what he could possibly mean, he received a very brief but pointed account of what had occurred, and, as he was himself a rich man and a corporation lawyer with a large practice, he said only that he regretted exceedingly that anything private should have leaked out of his office, and that he would sift the whole matter to the bottom, but he made no effort to persuade his client to change his mind, and immediately the two men took leave of each other. But Mr. Johnson went to the front window and looked out, and he said, "'Cranky, sure enough,' and he raised his eyebrows and whistled softly to himself as he saw who it was that had been waiting in the outer office, and now followed Mr. Endy into the carriage. "'Arthur! By the Eternal!' he exclaimed. "'I'd telegraph that fact to Endy's son, if he hadn't made such a fool of himself and got me into such a mess. Of course, I suspect who told him. Endy's all wrong. No one in this office was bribed to give information.' That was simply a matter of friendship between my son and his. These young fellows hang together just as we old ones used to when we were young, and I protested plainly against that will. But if Robert hasn't enough sense to hold his tongue, he will have to fight his own battles without aid from me or mine. And then he turned away from the window and went to seek an interview with his son. From Johnson's office, Mr. Endy rode swiftly to that of Chandler, for he was afraid that he might find the offices closed, as it was now after half-past five. Fortunately, they found the lawyer still at his desk, and upon introducing himself, Mr. Endy said briefly, "'I wish you to take entire charge of my legal business, and in the first place, please put this will in your safe for tonight. We have a fight on our hands. First, to get Charles Arndt out of prison where he now is.' on the charge of exercising undue influence, and so forth and so forth, and besides you are going to have to prove, incidentally, that I am a sane man. Chandler had said little. He was watching and studying the old man, and he now irrelevantly observed, I think we'd better have something to eat, as we have a long night's work ahead of us. Precisely so, said Mr. Endy, and to himself he added, They won't fluster him much. Arndt knows a man when he sees one, and we have the right one now. At the restaurant, Arthur started to drop away from the others and leave them free to talk about their business, but Mr. Endy said, "'Mr. Arthur, please give me the pleasure of your company while we eat. When I trust a man, I trust him entirely.' 
After they had finished their meal, they returned to the lawyer's office and procured necessary books and papers, and then drove to the prison, where, on presenting the sheriff's card, they were promptly admitted and were soon busily engaged on the necessary legal documents. It was nearly midnight when Chandler said, "'That finishes that I expect. There isn't an easier charge to make than undue influence, unless it be mental incompetence, and both are as difficult to disprove as they are easy to make.' most of us think that we are perfectly sane nevertheless most of the things the sanest of us do look crazy to somebody or other especially if it hits the somebody somewhere but they had not been working on legal documents exclusively among other things that were accomplished during the rest that chandler insisted on mr endy taking at nine o'clock was a paper which read sequel to the great strike inaugurated at steelton today at ten o'clock tonight we learn of an effort to prove the insanity of robert endy senior because he has made a will which devotes a large portion of his wealth to the aid of the strikers charles arndt one of the advisory committee that ordered the strike has been imprisoned on a trumped-up charge see editorial the editorial was likewise prepared at the same time and place but the editor that was fortunate enough to get this haul forgot to tell his readers of that fact it read to the american people we have a word to say and especially to the rich the time has now arrived when the business methods which were inaugurated by the fathers are being operated by the sons these methods produced much evil as every man knows even when operated by men who because of long and intimate association with the working men had still a feeling of brotherhood for the masses this feeling is totally absent in their sons reared in luxury educated at select private schools with leisure for any and every amusement they have a feeling of contempt for every man who has not made what they call success in life not realizing that under present conditions success is possible for the few only they have lost every sentiment which should mark the difference between an american citizen and a member of the aristocratic classes of europe there are few rich men today in this country who do not know this to be true of their own sons. Mr. Endy has found it too true of his, to his sorrow, and tomorrow's session of court will see a hale and hearty man of undoubted sanity called to the witness stand to prove that he is able to make a testament that will hold in law. Who will be the next rich man to share his fate? The young men who are running business today are the ones that are insane, or at least mentally unbalanced. They stop at nothing in their mad effort to excel each other in the piling up of dollars which most of them do not need, forgetting that these dollars are often the price of blood. There are those among the people who suspect that this suit is only a secret method of striking at the working men, since it is Charles Arndt, a labor leader, who has been imprisoned. The Iron and Steel Company will have a chance to disavow all connection with the matter, and we expect them to do so promptly, as the people are deathly tired of such methods, and have said so time and again. This was sent by telegraph to the paper, having the largest circulation in the United States, the Plutocrat, and also the Clyde Daily Clarion, a socialist paper, that, of course, favored the strikers. The plutocrat was assured that it would be the only paper in the East to get that matter, thus ensuring its publication. It was almost one o'clock when Mr. Endy and Arthur went to a hotel and secured adjoining rooms with a doorway between, and at least one of them slept soundly the remainder of the night. Arthur, however, had been up a long time before he called Mr. Endy at eight o'clock, and those who know him will be certain that he would have been ready for any emergency at any moment. 
when the party assembled in the courtroom they found it crowded to the doors the space set apart for the bar could not nearly hold the attorneys present and arndt looked anxiously at chandler fearing that his friend might be disconcerted but chandler seemed to be enjoying the best of spirits and when mr endy caught arndt's expression he leaned over and said chandler is all right never you fear for him i tell you when a man's heart is in his cause the fear of man departs from him amen said arndt but in the end the people and the lawyers were cheated out of their expected legal battle and chandler lost his chance to make a speech which would certainly have made him famous for all time for the magistrate on calling the case said briefly that the information lodged against the prisoner had been withdrawn with the consent of the state's attorney and that mr arndt was therefore at liberty chandler jumped to his feet and wanted to make a fight on certain legal informalities in the whole proceeding and also advised arndt that he could recover heavy damages from robert endy the informant but arndt said emphatically we stop this case right here harry robert endy will pay dearly enough for this if he has not already done so that newspaper work of yours was a master stroke i don't think you need regret the loss of that speech you can get it off some other day anyhow for this fight has only begun now the fact was that robert's father had not fully realized the import of what was occurring until he found himself in the courtroom then the thought flashed across his mind in all its hideous reality that his child his son robert was going to have to stand there before that multitude and appear to doubt the sanity of his old father so when the magistrate made his announcement and dismissed arndt a great wave of relief and thankfulness swept over him only to be instantly checked by chandler's words and advice to arndt it was characteristic of the man that he never gave a sign of what his wishes would be for he knew that the advice was sound and also just but when he heard arndt's emphatic words he grasped the young man's hand and in a moment transferred his own to the arm of arndt and so the two went out of the courtroom arm in arm in the sight of all men and as they passed from sight the significance of the act dawned on the assembled people and then a wave of feeling swept over them and broke through all restraints and cheer followed cheer there was no attempt made to stop the disturbance for a judge who is amenable to reason does not always have to have his reason in the shape of dollars mr endy then went with chandler to look over the will and probably draw a new one for said he i am obliged to confess that i have serious doubts whether a will that was drawn by a corporation lawyer who openly said he did not like it will hold together and do what i want it to but there he was wrong for the will and codicil were technically perfect as chandler assured him and he continued i expected nothing else the professional instinct is strong many lawyers do perfectly illegal and unjust things in the interest of their clients but not against them it was certainly not mr johnson that betrayed you nevertheless i advise that you have an entirely new will drawn at once every added codicil is just that much added weakness to the instrument so mr arthur had a chance to make up for some of his lost sleep while the two were engaged on the will and they arrived at the station and met arndt just in time to board the train upon their arrival at steelton they were met by john with the carriage who reported that rollins had instructed him to say that miss nettie had not been doing so well as the doctor had expected owing to some anxiety about arndt which their assurances of his safety had not been able to quiet 
accordingly arndt was driven to the macdonald house where he found it necessary to make his home for the present and mr endy went to the mansion to meet his angry and disappointed son End of chapter eight